Hello, all things Montessori community. I hope your February has been going great. Uh, mine has been pretty good so far. Uh, you know, it's just sort of that short month that feels long right before spring, at least here in the uh, Northern Hemisphere, kind of kind of comes along. But things have been really good. Um, I didn't get a chance to go to the AMI refresher course, but if anyone went, I hope it was great. Um, I heard Nikki Giovanni was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I actually took one of her classes. Uh, I went to Virginia Tech and she's a professor there and she taught a poetry class. So I was lucky enough to have her as a professor and it, it was an experience that Oh man, I will never forget. So I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, I'm so excited about the episode today. Uh, one, I have Jamie back with us. Jamie is joined by her colleague, Meg Trezais, who is a primary trainer and also the director of primary programs at Rising Tide Montessori. And they both uh, join me today to talk about their new mentorship program uh, that they're launching through Rising Tide Montessori. It is so awesome. We talk all about the importance of a mentorship and just how valuable it is and just how wonderful this offering is that Rising Tide Montessori is putting out into the world. If you're interested in signing up after you listen, uh, the info is down below and it's really, really easy. It's cost effective. And just from personal experience, I don't think there's any amount of mentorship that is just, it's just so worth it. Like it is, it is one of the things that really helped me a lot when I was in the classroom. Well, anyway, I hope you enjoy this episode with Jamie Rue and Meg Trezise of Rising Tide Montessori. Well, I'm so excited today. I have two guests with me. One, all of you know very well. One, I don't know if you guys know, uh, but I'm so excited to talk with the both of them. I have Meg Trezise here with me. She's a primary trainer and the director of primary programs at Rising Tide Montessori. And then I have the famous Jamie Rue with me, elementary trainer and CEO of Rising Tide Montessori. Hi, ladies. I'm so happy you're with me today. Hey, we're happy to be here. Jamie, welcome back. How are you? I'm good. I was trying to think, like, how long has it been since I don't. I mean, I, I don't think it's actually been that long. I mean, we talk a lot, like, since you've been on the podcast. I think the last time you were here, we were doing, you were giving an update on on C Lavender and things like that. Well, it's been a while, but yeah, we're still <laughs> trucking along. C Lavender's still going, and yeah, Tide has some new things to share. So. I'm so excited to get into it. So since Meg, you're new to all things Montessori and new to the podcast, um, I ask anybody who's new what their Montessori story is, you know, the background of how you got into Montessori. So can you share that with us? Yeah, sure. I was in college working on my BA, which uh, ended up being a fine arts and photography BA. My little sister was directing a small Montessori school. And she asked me to come in and do some holiday crafts with the children. I thought, oh, yeah, well, you know, why not? I have the time. Let's do this. So I walk into this three to six classroom and I was absolutely floored, floored. Like, here were these children. They were happy and peaceful and so kind to each other. And they walk right up and introduce themselves and shake my hand. And then the furniture was so small and the classroom was so warm and inviting. I was like, this is 
utopia? Like, what is this really? Like, this exists? So uh, for over the, a couple of years, I would just come do some crafts here and there, finished my degree, moved away and had the opportunity of um, moving to an area where Nimal Vaz, an AMI trainer, an old AMI trainer was training. And my sister called me up and she's like, well, since you're going to be in the area, you might as well just take the training. I hear that like she's a legend. And I thought, I don't have anything better to do. So maybe I'll just do that. And here I land in this training. I have no idea what Montessori is. And I never looked back. Like I found my heart and soul in that training. And I was a classroom assistant when I was working through. And then I got my own classroom in that little small uh, private school. After a good handful of years, I went into the public sector mm -hmm. and kind of expanded my role. Uh, once I got my feet wet and settled, I started instructional coaching um, in that public Montessori. I was their Montessori resource specialist. I was their response to intervention uh, data specialist. I'm one of those few Montessorians that loves data. Um, <laughs> but I really found a lot of passion in teaching and education when I moved into the public sector. It transformed me. And after some years, I decided I wanted more. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do some consulting or something like that. And my head of school said, no, you don't need to consult. You need to take the training of trainers. And I thought, no, regular people don't get to take the training of trainers. And uh, she put me in touch with Ann Velasco here in Phoenix. And she kind of ushered me along, answered my questions, encouraged me to try. And yeah, I, I got in and there was no looking back <laughs> and it was a, it was great. So here I am, I get to work with adults. I get to work with schools. I get to work with children. Now I'm doing uh, content design. I never thought I would do that. Like my journey has had twists and turns that have been unexpected and mm -hmm. pretty amazing. Oh my gosh. I love it. I, I, I seriously never get tired of hearing people's journey and, and something you said really resonated with me. A lot of them and I've had this experience too. It starts with seeing a Montessori classroom and just like your breath is taken away. You're yep. just like, what, what is that? And then yep. sort of going into training, not really knowing a lot about it, but trusting that this is what you're supposed to do. And then it's like, it just, your life unfolds from there. Um, what made you drawn to primary? Was it that you saw a primary classroom first or? I didn't know there was any other. Okay. I didn't, I didn't know that, that there was toddler, you know, classrooms or nitos or elementary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, no idea. I walked into three to six, but it just felt like I was coming home for whatever mm -hmm. reason. You know, that, that that feeling in your soul that was like, I am in a place that I'm supposed to be in. And to this yeah. day, walking into a primary classroom, it feels like I'm coming home. I love seriously. That. And I, I got to do summer programs in elementary. I spent a summer in a toddler house. Oh, heaven. And um, I prime the primary are my people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Those are no, I mean, people. it's it's so funny how we I think, you know, a lot of Montessorians can say that they're really specific to one age group. And it is where you it's like where your personality fits in. It's where you feel comfortable. I completely understand that. So I love that. So I want to know now the backstory of how you two got together with the amazing organization that is Rising Tide Montessori. So I don't know who wants to take that question, but what is your, what's the Jamie and Meg origin story? 
the origin story. <laughs> yeah, give it to me. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Well, I think the first time we met was at a trainer's meeting, but it was just like a brief, a brief meeting, sort of a hello. Um, so I knew that I knew who Meg was because of that. But then we met through Sep Kambar, actually, who founded Wildflower Schools. And he had reached out, I think, to each of us independently. And then at a certain point said, hey, I want you to meet, you know, let's all three of us talk about some stuff. So we uh, started meeting kind of regularly to talk about how we could make Montessori education more accessible. Like we started thinking through, Meg had already been working on some things. I had already been thinking about some things and we just spent a lot of time sort of brainstorming and stretching ourselves beyond, um, beyond the, you know, what had traditionally been offered. And this was in, I don't know, spring of 2019, I think Meg. So before COVID, but we really were focused on online accessibility. So we were thinking through how we could get more information, high quality, high value Montessori information to more people. Um, And we spent, I guess, six or eight months, almost a year really working on a variety of projects before, before we launched, fully launched Rising Tide. So a lot of behind the scenes work, trials and failures at (laughs) uh, videoing and various things, trying to edit my own videos, trying to figure out how we take what has traditionally been delivered in person and how we, you know, encapsulate it into small little bite-sized chunks. And so now Rising Tide has... 600 or more videos available on our YouTube channel and our website. Meg has designed and is in the middle of a largely online, mostly or good chunk of asynchronous AMI training. Um, So we've had, yeah, we've done a few things in the last few years, I guess, Meg, right? Yeah, no, it's been some (laughs) of the, the most creative time in my life actually like I've never had the time or the license to really stretch mm-hmm. in this way with what I know it's, it really has been looking at Montessori from every side inside of that box and then from the outside of that box too it's been fantastic well and one of the things we really I think the biggest takeaway is like we had a lot of time to be creative a lot of time to try things and make mistakes And then we also really learned about putting out a product before we thought it was totally perfect. Like in the sort of power of, I mean, we both sort of cringe when we look at some of our early videos that are out there for all of of you to watch. (laughs) Um, Of course. But it also is very freeing to realize you don't have to spend, you know, 10 years making it perfect. That, that even those videos that make us cringe for whatever reason are still good and high quality. And, you know, we've learned so much since we did them, those earliest ones, but, but getting stuff out there and being less concerned about making something perfect, that was a big, that's been a big thing I've learned in this, in all this work. 
That's also kind right. of a Montessori theme too, right? That's something you show in the classroom. So it's like, right, but so many Montessori adults are unwilling to do that. You know, no, I know. They, right. we... perfectionism is such a, I don't know, it's, it's a big demon uh, in Montessori. Uh, well, I think in, I think in a lot of areas, but I definitely, I struggled with that. Um, what I was going to say before, I find it fascinating that you were planning this online experience before the pandemic. So like, way to go, honestly, you just really just rolled right into how the world is now. Because now remote things, remote learning, it's sort of second nature. So I don't know if that's I, I know that the pandemic was a big hiccup, but have you seen that that is strengthened rising tide that people aren't as hesitant to enroll or do things online? Has Have you seen that? Totally, I think. I mean, I think we didn't get quite, you know, because, well, I mean, Rachel, even you know, like we had hired a whole like team. We have a, you know, to to do all the videography and we yeah, right. set up and done a day's work and we had like several days planned and booked and then COVID hit and then we had to pivot to doing all the filming ourselves in our own houses right <laughs> um you know some of my but, footage is a little fuzzy because it was my daughter behind the camera <laughs> I love it <laughs> I love it but I think it would have had, so we launched officially like the fall of 2020. And I think had we launched and COVID hadn't happened, it might've been a bigger sort of like, oh, I can't believe there's all this online stuff. But since we'd already had the first few months of COVID and people were rapidly trying to do stuff online, I it actually became a fantastic resource for people. I know lots of training centers have used the videos. A lot of schools have used the videos. A lot of individuals, you know, it has been really, um, so I think it did help Rising Tide in that it, you know, there, any major resistance to it was sort of, was gone because, so, because of we, we all had to pivot so much by then. Right, right, right. Well, and it was a resource that was always meant to be out there and free and accessible. Like we're not making any, we're not making a dime off of any of those videos. And that that's one of the things that I love about what we did is that we were putting it out to put it out, period. No mm -hmm. ulterior motives at all. Just mm -hmm. quality information, getting to teachers, getting to parents, getting to whoever was looking for it. I love that. That's one of my favorite aspects of it too, um, because this information is so valuable and so many people want it, but they don't have the resources to have access to it. So I just think it's so wonderful that it's out there um, and it's still going strong. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And I know really important to you guys, and that is mentorship and mentoring. I think there's so many... Um, teachers or people working in education that mentorship always would just come up in any of the circles that I was around, be it at a conference or just during the school day, mentorship was just like a big, big deal. So Rising Tide has launched a mentorship program and I want to hear more about it so you can tell our listeners all about it. So tell us. So, uh, you know, Rising Tide, we we didn't come together to train adults. That wasn't ever something that we were planning on doing. Really, we wanted to focus on outreach and we wanted to focus on 
school support, coaching, and mentorship. Like really, that was the root. Yeah, Jamie, of what? Yeah, of what we were going for. And then there was this need for training, and uh, you know, we rolled the dice on it, and it turned out pretty amazing. If I do mm-hmm. say so myself. And but moving it's on, amazing. <laughs> but moving on. So once we had the training going and you know we've had students now for the fall doing their practice teaching and their observation things slow down for the course quite a bit and we were thinking about you know is this the time to start making that shift into and coming back to that original mission and coming back to the purpose of why we came together and Jamie has had an idea for a very long time about you know, some kind of a subscription mentorship. And what does that look like? How do you make coaching and mentorship affordable um, for anybody and not just affordable, but also accessible? So we've been working on this and discussing this for a very, very long time. And we came up with um, Montessori Mentor On Demand for the three to six practitioner. So we're starting at primary. And really what it is, it's it's an inexpensive, it's only $25 a month. It's an inexpensive monthly mentorship subscription. So when you sign up, I've designed um, content that will release every 30 days for a year. And every 30 days, a teacher gets a new topic. And it would be a topic that a coach or a mentor would be coming into your classroom and supporting you with, starting off with the prepared environment, right? Tangible and intangible aspects. Now, when you have a coach or a mentor coming in, to uh, look at your classroom, they shouldn't be telling you what's wrong. That's not what coaching or mentorship is. They're asking you questions to help you identify what it is that you want to strengthen or what you want to pull back or where you want to grow when it comes to your practice. And that's exactly how this is designed. So every 30 days, first, there is a reconnection with foundation of knowledge. So for a prepared environment, it's revisiting all the grounding theory that you had in training. And for some of us, that was a long time ago. Really, it was a long time ago. For some of us, it wasn't, but it's always good to go back. Mm -hmm. I include articles from other professionals or trainers that are out in the world that apply to that topic. There are videos about that topic also in that um, in that section. And then you move into actually self-reflecting and digging into your practice. And it's a line by line, helping a teacher to identify all of these different areas, specifically in the classroom that, how am I doing on this? Is this something I wanna work on? Am I all right with this? Is this something I'm really strong with? There are resources to help a teacher identify and keep track of what they wanna do, what they want to change, how they want to change it, and then making a plan, a time-based plan, because accountability is everything, especially when it comes to mentorship. You can have someone help you, but if you don't make a plan and follow it through, it really doesn't mean anything. It's not going to help you at all. So there are resources for that as well. Every month is designed in the same way, to reconnect with that foundation of knowledge and then to step a teacher through deep, self-reflective practice and to make a plan to implement in the classroom. So it's self-guided. That's the beauty of the two. You have a whole month or really a year because the content doesn't go away. You have time to go through and take your time and Mm -hmm. process and do the work that you need to do when you have time to do it because time is a commodity for any teacher, you know? Yeah. 
Right, right, so right, right. There's right. a lot of freedom and flexibility. Um, there's it's completely judgment free mm-hmm. because it's self-reflective, right? It's what do you yeah. want to do today? How do you want to grow in your practice? So we have topics that we've got prepared environment and observation. There is uh, classroom management. Mm. There is uh, the road to reading, really digging into how a child gets from being a non-reader to a reader. Um, Right now, oh, I just finished um, one of the months on the magic of sensorial and the brain benefits of sensorial and all of the things we forget that we can do with those (laughs) exercises. So it's, it's been really cool for me to, Mm -hmm. to design because I am getting to coach and I am getting to mentor, uh, but it's, it's reframed just a little bit so that a teacher Mm -hmm. has freedom to kind of pick and choose where they want it, how they want to take it and where they want to go with it. I love that because I always, I've felt before, um, and I don't know if anyone has felt like this either, but exactly what you said, somebody comes in and tells you everything you have to change. And then you're like, uh, it's really overwhelming. But I love this aspect of it being self-guided and reflective. So you are the one doing the work, right? Which is how that's honestly, in my opinion, that's how I've grown is when I have realized or recognized something in myself that I can change rather than someone telling me, well, you should do it this way. Or well, if you're not going to very you know, Montessori though. What do we do with the children? We allow them to make the discovery so that they own their learning. And that's the way coaching should be. Coaching should should support a teacher in Mm. discovering the areas that they want to change and grow and helping them to make those discoveries for themselves. It's meaningful that way. You own that information Mm -hmm. and growth when you do it that way. And it's it's less less scary in a way because, and like you said, no judgment because it is like, it's self-paced and it's, it's something that you're choosing to do rather than, oh, I'm having my um, consultation with uh, AMI or AMS, somebody's coming and I'm freaking out and all of that kind of pressure that stacks up with that. This is so much more meaningful. And I always felt that, um, and Jamie, we've talked about this a lot, kind of the, um, the bridge between when you go to training and then when you're in the classroom, it's sort of like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> and you're yeah. like, Ah! And training, I mean, I did mine in one year. So it was like a whirlwind of information that I absorbed deeply, but also at the same time felt like I knew nothing, you know, and, and I would constantly come back to my albums or talk with my friends or, or, or anything like that about it. But, but there is, you lose a little bit of the theory. And like you're saying, like how cool to go back to the basics, go back to the prepared environment go back to observation, go back to what's really important rather than getting stuck in the weeds, which is so well, easy and, to do. And it's not often that I actually include Dr. Montessori's writings in mm-hmm. any of that reconnection of knowledge. We, we, it's, it's meaty, right? To get through her writings, right. but I also yes. think it's valuable to hear other perspectives that are out in the community. So mm-hmm. that's the reason why I like to have other practitioners and their articles showcased in this work as well. I love it. So I was talking with the vice principal at a public Montessori here locally, and she had this fantastic idea. She's like, this could totally guide our grade level team meetings. So bringing the teachers of that level together, having a subscription, and that is their focus for the month as a team and as a group to dialogue, to dig, to reflect, to bounce ideas off of one another. I was like, that is fantastic. 
That's like so cool. Could use this as a as a whole school resource too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's potential. There's just so much beautiful potential in this, and it's accessible. Mm-hmm. It really is accessible. I love it. So, Jamie, this is an idea that came from you. So, do you want to talk through where your thinking was well, on? on the mentorship or, or something you've been thinking about for a while. I don't know if it specifically came from you, but you know, <laughs> I mean, Meg's been able, let's just get it out there. Like Meg's been able to design it. I am still in the classroom full time. Right. So I am in the process of working on the six to 12 and have yet I'm getting there. So hopefully I will get it out soon. It's just how busy my weekends are. Um, but No, it's been something we've talked about for years because one of the big things that I've seen that frustrates me, and I know because I'm expensive, I'm expensive by the hour, I'm expensive by the day. And I do that because I have very limited time. And so I can't, you know, I don't have the time to to go all over. And most schools can't afford that on a regular basis. And so it has always bothered me that that mentorship has been so inaccessible or only available to the wealthy. And so what we wanted is to provide something high quality for everyone at a pretty affordable price, like something I think that, I mean, I know, I'm, like when I've paid for it, even just a small amount, like my Headspace subscription or something, it does make me feel more like I need to get value out of it, right? So we wanted a small, low-cost subscription so that it does help us all feel accountable to it. Right. But isn't so <laughs> inaccessible that people can't afford it. And so, um, and we're hopeful that this will help. You know, I think we have other layers of access and support that we're considering right now if you decide you want to schedule a one-on-one hour with Meg that's an option it does cost more but that's an option and we are considering other ways that we could add sort of levels of you know maybe it's a group mentorship meeting that isn't the whole hourly cost of Meg's time or you know that kind of thing so we are considering other ways that we can provide some strong support for teachers. Um, And I, cause I could say like, I've been in the classroom again now for the last year and a half. This is hard, hard work. And I'm tearing my hair out about some things lately. Mm -hmm. Like I'm sitting there going, how do I make this happen? How do I help the children see this or be able to access or stretch themselves or And so, you know, I certainly reach out and would talk with my staff and reach out to others to discuss and get ideas. And we want to be able to provide that sort of resource for anyone to be able to think through this hard, hard work so that everyone has greater success in their day-to-day work with the children. So I think what, what this provides is really that opportunity to do, to bring that on, on your own. And then you could bring it to the rest of your um, staff, you could talk, you know, you can get, we used to have a little monthly, uh, mentorship meeting in Seattle back when there were very few schools that had Montessori and we'd get together once a month. You could, you could pull that together. It wouldn't have to be even, you know, um, in person anymore. You know, there's so many options and this could help guide, um, guide the focus. I, I just love the sort of independence that this gives teachers. You know, if you're really deciding you want to go through this, you can do it in a time that works for you. You can do it in a pace that works for you. You can, 
skip the questions you don't want to do. I mean, that's the other thing I think will be interesting is what if you go back and do this prepared environment reflection like every year? How does it change year to year? How does it look this year when you've been really conscious and next year when you look at the questions you skipped or you look at what did or didn't work? I think that there's um, there's high value for many years in the future, not just this one month that you get it to. So, um, so I'm really excited. I'm hopeful lots more people hop on and start trying it out. And of course, we love to hear from anyone. So shoot us a go to the contact us forum on the on the webpage and shoot us some feedback. Um, because as we said, we, we are constantly iterating. Um, Meg and I, I mean, on the course, we're talking through ideas of how things can shift. It's just been the way that it's just the culture at Rising Tide, not change just for the sake of change, but change based on clear feedback we're getting mm -hmm. or, you know, a willingness to try new things or to reflect. So um, we don't take too much very personally. We just <laughs> are quite happy to be like, all right, let me think about that. Yeah, I, I think what I love about Rising Tide is there isn't a lot of ego here. You know, so nice. we have a very clear mission and we believe in what we do. And that's putting out supports for the community, period. If it's not working, let us know so we can do a revision, add something, remove something, whatever. Like our egos really aren't involved in this work because the work is bigger than us, mm. much bigger than us. I love that. <laughs> and I, I think it goes without saying that I think, um, again, could be in any profession, but in my experience, I think you can run into a lot of ego uh, in the education space because there's just a lot of, there's just a lot going on. So I think that's, that's so great. Um, you know, one thing I, I was thinking about I think mentorship and this self-reflection that we're talking about, it's unfortunately something that can easily be pushed to the side, just like very, very easily because you may think that, oh, there's more important things to do or, oh, I have parent-teacher conferences. And yeah, there's like a thousand things going on. It is, it's, it's unfortunately, sometimes it's the hardest to work on ourselves or give something to ourselves. Um, so I... And I think cost usually or time, those are two of the biggest excuses. I don't have the money for it. I know it's too expensive. I don't have the time. I mean, it, you know, you mentioned headspace, Jamie. I think this is actually a great comparison with meditation. A lot of times meditation is five minutes out of your day, but I'm too busy. I can't, you know, for five minutes, like really? Um, and so I think mentorship, not that it's it's only going to take five minutes, but I think it's a similar kind of thing where you just have to make the time to do it. And I love that you're giving the resources in such a clear, self-paced and individual way that it's really just done for you. It sounds kind of like, it sounds kind of like what we did in um, training, Jamie. Oh, I don't know. I think it was in foundations when we would read articles and then we would have a, um, we would have a group discussion about it and answer questions. I don't know what that was. But that's what it's reminding me of. You know what I'm well, saying? Well, and about? you and I, yeah. And you and I have talked a lot about like the importance of being a self-reflective practitioner, but it's hard to like force that sort mm -hmm. of practice on yourself at times. And what what Meg's provided is like this, these resources that help you that, you know, from a mentor, 
but that help you really guide yourself in self-reflective practice so that you just start forming a habit of being reflective about what you're doing as a teacher, not judgmental, just reflective. And, you know, I mean, we all make mistakes. Good heavens. You, anyone that wants to come see Lavender on any given day, you can see me make mistakes all the time. But to say that you're self-reflective or that you engage in self-reflective practice, yes, Montessorians naturally do some of that. But the problem is, is that it's huge. It's huge. Let's talk about self-reflective practice and all of the elements that that encapsulates, right? That's your relationships with children. That's your classroom management. Those are your routines and procedures. Those are your actual lesson presentations. This is how you present you know, specific areas of the classroom. Self-reflective practice with your own observational tendencies. How often do we sit down and ask ourselves that? We don't. Right. Like to say self-reflective practice, it's bigger than big. And to have it broken down into very specific topics can really help guide you and and get you into that rhythm of thinking about different elements of your practice. It's not just your lessons you're reflecting. It's bigger than that. It's more than that. And this is just a guide to kind of enrich you um, along the way. Mm. What advice would you give um, a teacher or someone um, in the education space, how not to be judgmental. I've, I've personally found that very hard. I think we're hardest on ourselves. Um, and I think we look at the classroom sometimes and I'm like, oh, it's all my fault. You know, things like that. So what, what advice would you give somebody who might be struggling with that? About being judgmental towards themselves? Yeah. You know, there is an art to being gentle with yourself as a learner. And we are learners every day. Like we don't master this. We right. don't like, I can still go in those, you know, Dr. Montessori texts and pull out information that applies to me differently today because my experiences are different today, right? We are in this constant evolution. And Dr. Montessori tells us that anyway, these are human needs and tendencies, right? That are driving our evolution over time. So we are always growing. We are always changing. We are always learning. Um, and if we can keep this mindset of being gentle, and that mistakes are where we learn. Mm -hmm. I think that's the biggest tip that, that I could give. Like there is no perfection here, right? It's, it's learning. And this is a method of experimentation anyway, right? right. And totally. we're doing our best as scientific observers and practitioners, uh, you know, to meet the needs of very complex children. Every child is incredibly complex and we're trying to figure them out one day at a time. And we right. finally almost get them figured out after three years and then they're off, right? <laughs> right. It's like, okay, bye. Good luck in elementary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and I think oftentimes too, I ask adults who are being hard on themselves or having trouble seeing a situation clearly, what would you say to one of the children in your class right now, if they were saying to you what I'm hearing from you, like, what would you say? How would you respond? How, you know, what permissions would you give that child to feel, to, to, to be, you know, to, what would you allow, you know, like, could, would you let the child say, you know, 
you know what? It seems like you're kind of done with this work right now. Why don't you put it away? Give yourself that permission <laughs> too. Right. you know, like, so when you're, when you're reflecting on yourself and being conscious about your self-reflection, give yourself the same love, the same grace that you would give children in your class. It's hard to do. Most people get pretty irritated when I say that to them, but they do, right? They get irritated. Like that's not helpful at all. Well, but you need to treat yourself with the same amount of love and respect and grace that you treat the children. And so when you can start doing that to yourself, you're actually going to be more effective at doing it with the children at being loving and full of grace and respect and care when they make mistakes and when they screw up and, you know, try to do the same for your, for yourselves. I can say I've gotten much better at that, even though I come home irritated about things or frustrated with myself, even now. And, um, I'm far better at, it's not, I can be like irritated, but not like self-blaming. Right. Right. I'm much better at being able to say whatever, like there's 26 other humans in that classroom. (laughs) It's not all mine. It's not all mine. Um, But I think that's a big key as you're trying not to be judgmental because this work is too big for one person to do really ever um, in the classroom. And so, you know, even after 20, what am I, I'm in my 25th year in Montessori education, and I still have a hard time in the classroom on a regular basis. It's too big to expect you're going to do it perfectly and to judge yourself if you don't. What we have to do is just be present. It's like meditation. Take note of those feelings. Right. And then let them go on past. Like clouds (laughs) in the sky, just passing on. We acknowledge them. No, I love what you said because it is, it's that self-blaming aspect, right? Like I think it's totally acceptable to be frustrated as a, as a teacher or in education because it's frustrating. (laughs) There are days. Like yes. this is one of the hardest jobs out there. Ever. It can be one of the most fun jobs out there. But really, like there are days it is the hardest place to be. Yes. So I think it's perfectly acceptable to be frustrated and irritated and scream about it. But it's that line where you can release that kind of uh, those emotions, not hold on to them. I think a lot of times I, me personally, I would hold on to those feelings and they would, I would assign them to me. Like this problem is happening because of me. And it's a waste of time because it's not because of you. (laughs) You know what the worst is, is if you're in one of those classrooms where you are faced with standardized testing Mm. and those test scores come back and you know what those children know and you know how much they love what they're doing. And maybe some of those test scores don't reflect that right. at all, it's very hard not to take that kind of data to heart, you know, and to yeah. remind yourself, this is a snapshot. This is a terminology these children aren't familiar with or, or whatever, you know, for me personally, that was very, very difficult. That very is really difficult. hard. Mm-hmm. You can yeah. also remind yourself about how those standardized tests have a number of inherent flaws and assumptions. Mm-hmm. Like they assume that every child's trying their best, which is, as we know, <laughs> a pretty massive assumption. Mm-hmm. They, right. uh, 
I could rip apart. I think we did a whole episode on me doing that. We so did. You can go back. <laughs> you can go back to it's that a good standard. one. It's like a roast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh my but gosh. I, but I do think it is, it is hard. And the other thing I would say, the other thing that I do more of than I ever did before is that I do my own self-regulation practice in the classroom. So if I'm irritated or feeling self-blame or frustration or any of that, I go ahead and do practice in the classroom. I'll do a pose. I'll do a breathing exercise. Mm -hmm. I'll do that in front of the children. And I will say things like, I don't feel completely in control of my emotions right now. And I am working in a practice that I know helps me (laughs) regain control. (laughs) So get out of my face. No, Um, but I... But I do like, I do try to model that, especially at the elementary, because Mm -hmm. I think um, it's something that I'm noticing lately with children. I don't think adults are explaining their own coping mechanisms or their own reasoning or their own judgments very well to their children. And we've been through some real challenges where it's been hard to like have the patience to do that with children. So I'm not blaming adults and children's lives or anything, but I'm very conscious of needing to like slow down my decision-making and my thinking and my frustration or my emotional management and display that for the children so that they're starting to learn and think and reason through. Because I think in COVID in particular, it has been so much easier for all of us to just do things for them because life is so stressful. Yeah. And we're forgetting that it's not just the physical independence that we, you know, that one's a little easier to say, have the patience, let them tie their own shoes or whatever. Also have the patience to let them like reason through their emotions or reason through how they're going to approach a task and, and help them, you know, those little pieces too. So in terms of like my own emotional energy in the classroom I'm trying to be sure to model that for the children and model my own sort of self-regulation and self-management so that they're getting some experience with that and hopefully eventually maybe someday applying it to themselves I mean what um, what a great lesson though I mean just I mean they are such mirrors you know they're they're going to mirror what you do and that's such a great great thing to show, you know, arguably a really one of the most important lessons. I think I, I think a lot of adults don't know how to regulate their emotions. (laughs) So I would say that's, that's up there. So I hope people get motivated to get this sort of mentorship support. We're very excited to share it. And of course, the videos are always there on the website. So you're always able to get those things. But but yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty excited. And elementary is coming. I have high hopes this year. Oh, you'll do it. <laughs> I will, no, that I'll I get have it no launched. doubt. <laughs> um, if someone is interested, either a school or an individual, um, how would they go about this? Is this, is it laid out on your website? I'm, I'm sure it is, but. Right. So risingtidemontessori.org mm-hmm. and we have a coaching mentorship tab. So Montessori nice. uh, mentor on demand will be right there. Awesome. I will put it in the show notes too. So it's like super easy. If anyone wants to take advantage of this incredible program, Um, I am so, I'm just so glad that it's out there. And thank you both so much for taking the time to talk about it today. I think mentorship is so 
vitally important. I think a lot of educators and teachers, um, in my experience, just people I've talked to are afraid to ask for help. You know, you really want to feel like you can do it all. And like Jamie was saying, like this work is just, it's huge. And Meg, you said it's one of the hardest jobs. It is, it's so difficult. So don't be afraid to raise your hand and ask for help. Um, go to your administration if you're interested. It's it's not a big cost. And I think it would have such a great uh, reward for, for, for teachers. So go sign up, do it. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you both for being here. This was so fun. Thank you. Thank you, Rachel. It's really fun to be back. Yeah, she's back. <laughs> I'm <laughs>